Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. John chapter 14 verse 1. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, Judy, thank you very much indeed for reading, and uh, it's uh, wonderful to uh, see you all here. Uh, Welcome again. Uh, Peter's already welcomed you, but uh, on behalf of the entire church family, a very warm welcome to you if you're here uh, for the first time or for this special occasion. It's brilliant to see you. Now, do keep your Bibles open in front of you, or if you haven't opened them yet, I would encourage you to do so page 1082, and then you'll be able to see uh, what I'm saying and why I'm saying what I'm saying. Something else you might find useful, on the back of the, um, uh, the, the, the stories of those who've been baptised, there's a little outline of uh, what's going to be said tonight, and you might find that useful uh, as well. So do dig that out if you'd like to. Well now, as we turn to think about the Bible, let me pray that God would speak to us uh, through it now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a speaking, living God, and we pray that as we turn to your word, the Bible now, that you would speak to us in the very depth of our being. Please speak words that resonate and connect with us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the very last line of, um, of this autobiography, Bob Geldof's autobiography, I think is very, very telling. Before I read the, the last line, I better tell you who he was. For some of you, Bob Geldof won't be a name that you remember, but he was the lead singer with, do you remember, the Boomtown Rats, and founder of Live Aid. Now, the Live Aid concert was a dual venue concert running concurrently in Wembley Stadium in London and the John F. Kennedy Stadium in Philadelphia. Um, here's what Bob Geldof writes towards the end of, of his autobiography. On the day of the Live Aid concert, the greatest assembly of rock musicians ever at the end of 17 hours of live music, which had been watched by more people than any other event in history, Bill Graham, the promoter of the event, stepped out onto the stage in Philadelphia. Bill walked down to look at the empty in stadium. Just in front of the stage were a group of kids hanging around, still finishing off what was left of their beer. One of them turned to him and shouted, Hey, you, Bill Graham! Bill looked down with an inquiring smile. The the kids shouted up, Is that it? And then Bob Geldof writes, it's something I keep asking myself. Is that it? So here, that's how, those are the last three words, and indeed the title of uh, this autobiography. Is that it? Here is Bob Geldof, the singer turned philanthropist, the boomtown rat who became the shantytown saviour, a man who enjoyed great success as a pop star and then used his fame for great good, raising astonishing amounts of money to save the lives of starving millions in Ethiopia. 
First by gathering a star-spangled group of the best-known pop and rock stars of the time, calling them Band-Aid and recording the song. Some of you remember it, Do They Know It's Christmas? And then by organising the Live Aid concerts. Now, you may not have been a fan of Bob Geldof's music. You may not have been impressed by his rock star lifestyle and outspoken, colourful, colourful language. But Bob Geldof did something with his life. He made a difference by saving the lives of millions of the most desperate people on this planet. But his own words, even after achieving so much, in his own words, he keeps asking himself, is that it? Is that what life's all about? Earlier in this book, he tells that he went through this mind, uh, what went through his mind as he stood on the stage at the Live Aid concert. And he says, I knew that nothing in my life had been worth anything until now. And then devastatingly at the end of the book, as he's reflected on all of that, uh, the moment that was the climax of his life still left him with that empty, is that it feeling. What is the point What are we here for on planet Earth? Now this baptism this evening is about finding the very point of life. Of course, most of us won't get even close to experiencing the successes of Bob Geldof, not in terms of fame and finance and philanthropy. Oh, for sure, as I look around this this church family, there are many successful people here. Some could boast of great careers. Those in medicine, for example, will be able to look back on a life that has significantly helped thousands of people. You'll be able to say you made a difference. But in Bob Geldof's words, is that it? Others here, like me, by the end of our lives, will have achieved very little. We might be able to look back through life and rejoice in some successes, academic excellence for some of you, a loving family, a faithful marriage, for some sporting achievements. Well, I mean, we don't want to knock those things. They're not to be sniffed at, but, but is that it? Others here just starting out on, uh, on life, working hard at GCSEs or A-levels, starting your first job, maybe uh, starting at uni. Here you are at the very beginning of life, wondering what the future holds. Wondering how life's going to pan out for you. And we all have ambitions, modest maybe, maybe, but no one ever set out to achieve nothing very much. And then there's uh, Emily and Nathan and Toby and Karen baptised this evening, marking a fresh start in life. I don't know what their hopes are for the future. You'll have your own thoughts about the future, but whatever they are, I'm sure you won't want to get to the end of your life and say, was that it? What was that about? And so this evening, we're going to consider a sentence that is arguably one of the most important sentences ever uttered. As we think about where we're going in life and what life is all about, listen again to these words that the Lord Jesus said that um, we had read for us just a moment ago by Judy. At the end of our reading, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is claiming to be the exclusive way to know God and to have ultimate meaning in life. It is the most astonishing claim. I am the way. It's an astonishing claim, but if it is true, these words can rescue us from a lifetime of aimlessly wandering and they can tell us where we ought to be heading in life and when we get to the end, know that we haven't wasted it. 
To really understand Jesus' words here, we have to go back a few sentences where we see that Jesus' disciples had the anxiety of a wasted life. At the end of chapter 13, uh, Jesus told his disciples that he was going away, as he put it, and that where he was going, they could not follow. Look back with me to chapter 13 and verse 33. Jesus said to his disciples, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. Now those words confused and distressed Jesus' disciples, which is why he said to them in chapter 14 and verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. See, their hearts were troubled. It's no wonder they were anxious. They had left everything to follow Jesus. Some gave up their jobs, some of them leaving a successful family business. They'd spent the last three years following this itinerant preacher all around the country, living rough at times, not knowing where the next meal was coming from. They'd left everything for Jesus because they believed that in Jesus they'd found the very purpose of life itself. And so when he said he was going away and that they couldn't follow, you can imagine them saying, is that it? But we, Jesus, we've followed you faithfully across the length and breadth of the country. Oh yeah, there have been some great moments. We've seen you perform the most amazing miracles. We've heard you teach the most profound truths. It's been remarkable, but it's not been easy. The authorities have been looking for any chance to get rid of you and following you has made us marked men too. We've risked life and limb for you, Jesus, made sacrifices for you, Jesus, and now you're going and we can't follow. Is that it? And isn't that exactly the feeling that grabs so many people at key moments in their life? It's what a midlife crisis is about and when I reach midlife, I'll tell you more about it. Um, seriously if you you are sports mad like me then midlife is that time when all your childhood dreams evaporate you realise you will never be a professional footballer or a tennis player or Olympian and midlife is when you look at your career and you realise that you're never going to make it to the top or if you are at the top you think about all the sacrifices you've made and you wonder if it was worth it because it doesn't quite deliver not as glamorous or fulfilling as you thought it was going to be. And so in midlife, you ask, is that it? And of course, midlife is when you realize that half your time on planet Earth has gone and it all went so quickly, and that is very scary. And then after midlife comes retirement. This is a cheery talk, isn't it? And, um, and there's plenty of people in this church family who've told me that retirement is much harder to cope with than they ever realized, especially if your identity, who you are, how you define yourself, your status is all bound up with your career, and then you retire. So the successful businessman feels all at sea in retirement. As he says these days, I don't have much reason to get out of bed in the morning. I keep myself busy with the garden and we help out with the grandchildren and We're able to go on nice holidays. I really shouldn't complain. I have a good and easy life. But it's just not the same anymore. I don't feel needed. No one looks to me for answers these days. The company continues to flourish, and so I've had to face up to the shuddering realisation that they really can survive without me. And perhaps worst of all, I look ahead, the years ahead. I haven't really got anything to aim for anymore. I don't know where I'm going. You see, at retirement, you ask the question, is that it? And if it's not midlife or retirement, it certainly hits when we are near death. 
Last week, I told you about my dear mum. She was diagnosed with cancer 13 years ago now. She lived another five years, and after the diagnosis, just months before her death, she said to me, I wonder what I've achieved in life. I, of course, was able to reassure that she'd done a brilliant job raising a fantastic son. No, no, really, my brother is a great bloke. He really is. Um, As we talked, um, we laughed together. We thought seriously about the things of life that really mattered. And I share something of that personal and intimate conversation with you to demonstrate that as we near the end of life, we do look back. These things do go through our minds. And if we don't have any answers, we're haunted by this question. Is that it? Look, the big point is this. When we give our lives to anything... When it's over, we're left with a devastating so what? And at the end of John chapter 13, that is what the disciples felt. Having given their everything to Jesus, they heard him saying he was going away and that they could not follow him, so they thought it was all over. And that left them with this empty question that is dominating our thoughts this evening. Is that it? Why have we given our lives to following Jesus Christ? But with the anxiety of a wasted life hanging over the disciples, Jesus told them a first point on the handout. Don't worry, that was a long introduction. First point on the handout, a wonderful future homecoming. Look at verse two, if you've still got your Bibles open. Jesus says, this is why your hearts need not be troubled. Verse two, in my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Here is Jesus' explanation as to why he's going away. And here's why following Jesus will not leave us with a sense of what's the point. Why have I bothered? Here indeed is why Emily, Nathan, Toby and Karen have made such a brilliant decision to follow Jesus Christ. You see, in verse 2, at first, Jesus speaks of a wonderful future beyond the grave. He calls it his father's house. I love that picture of life beyond the grave. For the Christian, death is not the end, but a homecoming. There is something wonderful about coming home, isn't there? In the summer of 1990, that was a long time ago, I spent 10 weeks working with the homeless and drug addicts in New York City. It was an amazing time in my life, hugely formative. It was tough. The living conditions weren't easy. I saw things every day that were very distressing. But I don't regret being there, not for one minute. And not least of all, because I work with some amazing people, lovely, incredible, inspirational people. But as kind and as embracing as they were of me, and they were, they weren't family. They weren't family. And in New York City, even though everyone spoke English, I didn't feel understood. English words meant different things. The culture was different. And after 10 weeks of living in that environment, I remember that wonderful feeling of coming home. Not just to familiar surroundings and not just to a comfortable house, but home to my family who loved me. That's where I belong. That's home, isn't it? You know the feeling. That's what Jesus is speaking about here in verse 2. In my Father's house. You and I, you see, were created to be in a loving relationship with God the Father, to be part of his family. Here and now, we live in a world as beautiful as it is. We live in a world that is broken and corrupt and damaged. Somebody said to me just last week, they can't wait for heaven. 
because they're going through such a hard time now. You see, sometimes life's just like that. We live in a world where things never turn out as they should be, a world where selfishness and loneliness and disruptive forces of evil ruin what is good. And a world where death will always have the last word, where death always ruins everything. And here in this world, even if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I am not fully in the presence of God, so I will never feel fully at home. But there is a place beyond this life, our Father's house. And to go there is to be like coming home. And that's the point. There in the presence of our Father God himself, I will never question, is that it? No, there I'll say, this is it. This is what it's all about. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled because following him had not been a waste of life because as he was going away, he was going away to do the very thing we needed him to do in order to bring us to his father's house. And he says there's something beyond this life. And you notice he says there's plenty of room for everyone. In my father's house are many rooms. There's no competition for places. So Jesus says to his disciples, no, this isn't it. There's something greater. And that is exactly why he had to go away. End of verse two, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Now, now please don't misunderstand this. Jesus didn't prepare a place in his father's house by sprucing up the rooms, you know, doing a bit of decorating, giving it a makeover and putting some new soft furnishings from Ikea in the rooms. No, no, the, the going away he speaks of here is his going to the cross Dying on the cross and then rising from the dead and ascending into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. That was his going away. And it was going to the cross that he prepared a place in heaven for his followers. Look, I've got a DVD here. Just imagine if burned on here, on this DVD, was the record of your entire life. And just imagine that I were to show this uh, today on the screen. And no doubt there'd be many things that you'd, we'd want to celebrate with you. Some great achievements, acts of great kindness. At times, a good, upright life. But let's be honest tonight. There'd be things on here that you'd be really ashamed of. Things you've done in the privacy of your own home. Ways you've selfishly hurt other people. Conversations you've had on the telephone uh, or emails that you've sent where through indignation you've been harsh and cruel. Honestly, you've really put the knife in. They'd be on here people you've hurt. And if this DVD contained all your thoughts and motives as well, well, it would make for uncomfortable watching. Well, look, that is your life. We can show a different life to everyone else around us, but that's your life, is it not? And coming before God with that one day, well, to say it will be uncomfortable really isn't enough. A perfect God faced with all this ugliness. But the DVD of Jesus' life has none of that bad stuff. He lived a perfect life. We we don't have a DVD, but we have a record of his life here. And even those who live closest to him sharing life every day with him for three years, they said he did no wrong. Isn't that remarkable? 
So he didn't deserve God's anger, but he went to the cross and took all the righteous anger of God. He took the punishment that you and I deserve for the lives that we have lived. And as he died on the cross, it's as if the DVD was rewritten, cleaned up, all the bad stiff stuff edited out. That's what this baptism points towards. Sir Pete explained it very well earlier. It's about cleansing. Jesus' death cleansing me from my sin. And this water being a symbol of that inside cleansing. And being clean means that I'm then able to face God one day with an unblemished record. Not because I've got one, but because he's cleaned me of mine. And just as those who baptised went down into the water and then up again, that's a picture of dying to the old way of life and being brought up to new life. And that will be fully realised and experienced one day at the end of their lives when they are raised from the dead because they are connected to Jesus, the one who himself defeated death in resurrection. And they will be raised to be with their heavenly father in his house forever. It is that, you see, that settles troubled, anxious hearts. Had Jesus' disciples wasted their lives in following him? Not at all. They'd made the best decision of their lives. Following Jesus leads us to the very meaning of life, being with our heavenly father forever one day. How can we be sure we're going to get it though? Well, there's a wonderful homecoming. Secondly, a future, a certain future homecoming. Look at verse three. Jesus says, and if I go, and he is going to go to the cross, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The logic is simple. Jesus says, if I'm going to the cross to die for you, to secure this place in my father's house for you, if I'm prepared to go that far for you because I love you that much, well, then you can be absolutely sure that I'm going to come back and take you to be with me to my father's house. You're going away. Yeah, but I'm coming back. It is difficult for me to put into words my dislike for shopping. Traipsing around stores, getting more and more frustrated, unable to find what I want to find, with crowds of miserable people all around. Maybe they're not all miserable. They just look miserable. I really do not care for shopping at all. And so you won't be surprised to hear that I am someone who prefers, if I have to do it, internet shopping. And things like click and collect. Oh, it's glorious. Because I'm someone who's also who dislikes wasting money, you can be absolutely sure that whenever I click, I always collect. Indeed, there has not been a time in my life, not one where I've clicked and not collected. I don't even need email or text reminders to collect. Having paid my money, I always collect. Now look, if I won't forget to collect an item having parted with my money, how much more can you be sure that Jesus won't forget to collect us and take us home to be in his father's house? Because Jesus didn't simply click a button. He died on a cross. And he paid with more than a credit card. He gave his life. And being prepared to go and pay such a high price, he says to his disciples, if I go and prepare a place for you, verse three, if I go to the cross and pay with my life to secure a place for you in my father's house, then you can be absolutely sure, verse three, I will come back and collect you and take you to be with me in my father's house. Do you see, for the Christian, our heavenly future is a cast iron guarantee. Because it's not about how well I've lived. It's about what he's done for me on the cross. 
And so in these verses, Jesus says to his disciples, my going away is not a bad thing for you, and my going away shouldn't leave you thinking, is that it? My going away, says Jesus, should calm your troubled and anxious hearts and give you a terrific peace and joy and security and reassurance of what life is all about and that you will have it for certain. And so he said, verse 4, you know the way to the place where I'm going, meaning that he was the way. But Thomas said to him, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you were going. How can we know the way? Despite Jesus' explanation, Thomas still didn't get it. Thomas wasn't the sharpest tool in the box. And for that reason, I really relate to Thomas. Now, look, I know there are very many bright people in this church family, remarkably bright people in this church family. Indeed, I am told that in this postcode, S10, there are more degrees per capita than anywhere else in the country. Isn't that an incredible stat? Let me tell you, I've considerably reduced that statistic. As someone who only managed to scrape five O-levels and four of those at grade C, when I say I relate to Thomas as not the sharpest tool in the box, I am not saying that for effect. Thomas didn't get it, and I regularly don't either. And I, for one, am grateful for Thomas's question because his question resulted in Jesus giving further clarity on what he'd been saying. And with this, we come back to our crucial sentence that we began with as we uh, come to a close. Thomas said, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And our third point, briefly, the only way to come home. See, as we go through life wondering what it's all about, wondering the way to go, Jesus says, I am. I'm the way. And he says, I'm the only way. See, here's the way to God. Here's the way to the Father's house. Here's the way to having life beyond the grave. Here's the way to avoid living a life that fizzles out in meaningless disappointment. Jesus is the way and only way to be sure that you and I don't end up saying with Bob Geldof, is that it? Now, please grasp that Jesus is not simply saying, I am the one who can show you the way. It's not as if he's some brilliant teacher. He was that. But he's not as if he's some brilliant teacher who can explain the philosophy of life. I can show you the way. It's not either that he's a magnificent trailblazer, someone who's gone before us and shows us how to live. There we are, now you go and do it. That would be terribly depressing. I can't live the kind of life that Jesus lived. And if that was how I was sure of getting to heaven, I didn't have a hope. That's impossible. And actually anyone who's tried to turn over a new leaf knows that's impossible. We can't live a perfect life and those who are baptised today made us, haven't made a supercharged religious decision to try harder from now on. That is not Christianity. If life were about living up to an impossible standard, we'd have no hope at all of coming into the Father's house. But I think that is possibly the biggest misunderstanding about Christianity around in Britain today. I meet people who think that the Christian gospel is that we have to try hard, live up to Jesus' standard in order to get to heaven, but that's not it at all. No, here in verse six, Jesus is not saying that he can just show us the way or that he can give us a religious or moral example that we have to live up to. He's saying something quite different. He is saying he is the way and the only way precisely because he died on the cross And the cross is the only way that you and I can be made right with God. He is the way, so trust him, verse one. Trust him, 
and you can be absolutely sure of spending all eternity in the Father's house. Emily, Nathan, Toby and Karen all know that. And that changes everything. It changes midlife because the fact that I won't ever be a top sportsman isn't what life is about for me anyway. And whether I achieve or not in my career, it's not the, the way my life is, is defined. It means that at retirement, my life not, it need not just drift by without me uh, living my life just for golf and, and, and foreign travel. In retirement, I still have a bright future with the best yet to come. And at the very end of life, this changes everything because it means I can face death knowing it's not the end. That's brilliant. And all that means if I'm just starting out on life, I know what to live for. I know what really matters, what's worth investing in. It tells me that following Jesus is the most crucial and critical decision anyone can ever make. Well, thanks very much for coming. Thanks for listening. If you're a guest here, uh, can I say especially thank you for coming. And uh, before we sing our final hymn, I wouldn't be at all surprised if some of you here tonight are at least intrigued by what you've heard. You'll be saying, you know, the songs and the baptism and the Bible, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I want to know more. Well, look, if you want to know more, take one of these from me. There's a little booklet. I'll be standing at the door over there. And I won't ask you any questions. Just take one from me and that will tell you more. And there might be some here saying, you know, this isn't my first time here. I know enough that I want to I start following Jesus. I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, is that it? Well, you two take one of these and you'll see at the end of the booklet, there's a prayer you can pray to start following Jesus uh, right on the last page.